In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. everyone just a quick note before the start of today's episode we did have some audio glitches in this uh conversation so we do apologize for that but um we hope that it's not too distracting and you can still enjoy thank you as always for listening (sighs) so (laughs) oh man i can't believe it already seems like we're ill-fated on this episode just from the amount of sighing we've been doing (laughs) Well, I'm just, I'm laughing at this starting with a sigh, like you're already over it. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't say I'm over it. I would say that uh, unlike usual, today we're recording on a Sunday rather than a Saturday. And maybe it's just like Sunday energy is different than Saturday energy. Um, Yes. But what I was going to open up with, Amy, was... (laughs) Do you have any memories associated with summer camp? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, lots of them. We'll share a highlight Um, then. Well, I went to lots of different kinds of summer camps. So it's like there's um, different ones. (laughs) Um, I went to a Girl Scout camp for a little while. Was that Um, Camp Bonnie Bray? Oh, my God. I don't even... That sounds familiar, but I don't think so because it was I, I don't know. It was the one where we took a bus and we were just just a day camp. It wasn't like a sleepover Girl Scout oh, camp. Okay, I feel like the that? one near us was called. There was one that was a sleepaway camp that I think was a Girl Scout one that I could have sworn was oh. called Camp Bonnie Bray. But they had like little cabins, and then there was a pool. And at what I do remember about this one specifically is like at like quote-unquote activities time you could choose like arts and crafts or like sports or go to the pool or like I'm not even sure what the other option was sure but I would always (laughs) not want to do the sport (laughs) Um, (laughs) or like I feel like swimming wait what I can't can you believe it? it but I didn't even really like arts and crafts either like I'm I'm not like a crafty person either who enjoys like sitting and working with my hands like that's not something I enjoy either. So, so what were you doing at Girl Scout yeah, camp? This, here's what this is one okay this is my actual like biggest memory from Girl Scout camp and it's not positive. It was <laughs> um, P.S. Camp Bonnie Bray is a real thing that does exist. That is I in you. Um, like the Berkshires basically. Yeah, I don't think this was that, the one that I'm picturing, though, because I think it was closer than that. Okay. But anyway, my biggest memory was, 
we were, I'm trying to like put piece it together as to like why this happened, but like we were in the girls, me and some other girls were in the girls, um, changing area and even though this was a girl scout camp there oh, were some boys the there. changing area this is like yeah not this, gonna it was be like, a good story no because it was like first of all <laughs> not that we've ever gone into this i'm a pretty um prudish you're, you're, is the right word yes you're but, a closed person to yeah, a degree that is really intense <laughs> I love clothes and simultaneously I hate clothes too. But like I like to be clothed at all times is yes. the point. Yeah. Um and not I don't like I'm not someone who like walks being, around my house naked or something. Well, that's even a different thing altogether. But what I mean <laughs> to say is like when you say I like to be clothed, being in a bathing suit is like not enough. No, that's not great either. I don't like right. a bathing suit either. I like a bathing suit if I'm fully <laughs> Oh man, this just is gonna make me sound crazy. But I like a bathing suit when I'm like fully in the water. Then I'm okay. But I don't like walking sure, around in a then, bathing suit. Then the water is your clothes. Correct. It's your, it's your covering. A hundred and ten percent. So, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Even though water is clear, it's my clothes. But yeah. um, so it was. So I didn't, I am someone who doesn't even in like locker rooms in high school, like I would figure out how to get my clothes on under my towel, everything like didn't matter, like boys, girls, I didn't really like changing in front of anyone. So first of all, we already had to change in this like room with girls or this cabin with a bunch of girls. Didn't love that to begin with. Then one time we were in the middle of changing and like one of the counselors or someone opened the door for like a second oh no (laughs) and there were boys outside and I was mortified like I was super super pissed and I don't know if I like said or did anything I don't think that I like voiced my pissedness and I don't remember if I like told mom like I won't go back there but I was mad like that was my the fact that I still remember that and I have a pretty shitty memory yeah, like, that imprinted on me. I was oh, mad about man. it. Man, that is like traumatizing to the max. Yeah, I didn't like it. So that's <laughs> one memory of camp. But I went to again. I went to lots of different types of camps. I also did some like sport. I did do some sporty camps. I did do some softball camps and like tennis camps. Yeah, and field hockey camp. I think I definitely did field hockey camp a number of years in high school. Yeah. And my memory, the only real memory I have from that was um, it was a field hockey camp that was held at Deer, Deerfield Academy. So oh, that's fancy. It was fancy. And you got and the fun of it was that you got to stay in dorms, of course. Yeah. And um, but you were playing field hockey in fucking August, <laughs> like, yeah, five or that's six sad. hours a day <gasps> in the blazing I kind of sun. remember that you did that. Did you get sick? Um, no, I didn't get sick. But oh. what I remember most vividly from that camp was, um, I forget if it was day one or day two, but they would have, you know, as is always the case in places like this, in all camps, you have like the morning meeting where literally every camper is like brought together to like told announcements or sure. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the main lady who ran the camp was saying like just so you know this is field hockey camp 
This isn't diet camp. We are going to be watching you, and if you are avoiding eating, we will find out, and we will get Whoa. in trouble. And Whoa. it was like such a, I remember at the time, because I think I would have been probably like. That's dark. Yeah, somewhere between, I think I went there two or three summers between like the ages really? of 15 and 17-ish. Because it was like, wow. it was a thing where like a lot of the girls from my high school team would go together in like a sure, block. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to say I did it two or three years, two or three summers in a row. Um, yeah. And I remember, first of all, this is just tells you a lot about our family's eating styles. I was like, I'm at this <laughs> fucking like, great. eat. I know. About. <laughs> I know. I was like, are you kidding me? And also, again, because of our family's feelings about foods, I was like, I'm in a fucking cafeteria with the best food in the world. I'm eating and it's three free. And it's like buffet style. I'm eating yeah. as much as I possibly can. Oh, <laughs> like, my God. The th- that, like, the idea at that age for me, well, I don't know. Anyway, that, that could, like, go down a path. But the funny thing about camp, that I mean, that's really dark to say to a bunch of kids. I mean, I appreciate where that person was coming from, but that is dark. Right. It was, um, like, my first realization, I guess I could say, like, of course I knew that, Friends even of mine had like weird eating stuff happening. Yeah. You know, at that time and had been dealing with that from probably the time they were even as young as 10 or something. Um, Oh, yeah. But I had never had an adult like confront it out, I suppose, in such a like a really head on way. And also, like, in a way that I don't think like was actually probably the way you should do this. No, I don't think so either. Like we like basically what they were saying was like we will find you and we will force the food down your throat. Like that's yeah. not Yeah, yeah, do yeah. That. Which is not but, really the way. Now here's the thing. And this I think will transition us nicely into what we're talking about this week because we have now shared two very harrowing memories. <laughs> From all, for all, like, we, as you've intimated, we've done, we, and I did horse camp. Like, we all oh, yeah, and horse had, camp, of course. we all had all these lovely memories from these camps. And yet the things we've chosen to discuss today are, are the, like, <laughs> like, like the two moments that were really quite something that were weird or I upsetting. also remember, speaking of horse camp, I remember a horse camp memory that is definitely burned in my brain when a girl got kicked real bad. Ooh. Do you have ever remember this? Like, I can't remember if we went to that camp together or not. But we did, but we would have been in different levels of things. But so I feel like it... she was older and she got kicked bad. Like, she got had a bruise on her leg like I've never seen. And I remember being horrified and terrified. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway. But so all of this is to say we've had some harrowing times at camp that have clearly... <laughs> Shaped us into the adults that we are today. Um, but nothing quite so bad as what uh, uh, transpires to these children in the movie children. that we are discussing today. So first and foremost, hello everyone. Welcome to See You Next Week in Space. Uh, I am your host, Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Amy Walsh. And Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we are talking about today? Yeah, so we've been to lots of different camps. One camp we never went to, I can say nope. confidently, nope. <laughs> was Space Camp, which is Correct. what we're talking about today, the 1986 movie called Space Camp. Um, 
yeah, I, and I wouldn't, and I would never. <laughs> no, it's not really for us for a number of reasons, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and frankly, like I, like I said to you, uh, part of the reason I chose this movie is I remember watching it as a kid and quite liking it. Uh-huh. Um, so I can't even say that I didn't know such a thing existed. I clearly did know. And I feel like I've heard of Space Camp. Like, when in, yeah. the, like in the 90s and stuff, I feel like they would, like, on TV shows or game shows, that, like, prizes would sometimes be, like, going to Space Camp or something. Yeah, probably. And, I mean, it is a real thing. It exists yeah. um, in Huntsville, Alabama, where there's, like, a whole NASA enclave in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's there. Mm-hmm. Um and it began in 1982 um, hmm. and has remained going ever since. And it's basically just, like, it appeals to kids, unsurprisingly, who want to do anything. It's about, like, kind of getting kids into science, more or less. Sure. Um, so not exclusively, like, a pipeline to being an astronaut, but just general be interested in science. And I have to assume yeah. with, like, an emphasis maybe on, like, yeah, like, astronomy, physics, that sure. sort of thing. Which is um, reasons number one, two, and three why I didn't go. <laughs> yes. Also not a thing that I was super into as a child. And I have to assume that space camp is probably extremely expensive. Yes. Um, well, and definitely the way it's depicted in this movie, I would say for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I chose this movie, I guess, because I was in... I like a slightly emotionally sensitive place. And I was like, I need something that's not really going to like challenge me very much. (laughs) And so this was what I chose. Right. So I chose this movie because I had good memories of it. And I knew that I couldn't really deal with something that was like a little bit, even a scotch heavier in any kind of way (laughs) than this movie. Um, Which... As you were saying before we were recording, like, technically probably a movie with this subject matter shouldn't be light. Um, Yeah. And yet it is somehow. Um, Yeah. And, like, for example, and not to, like, skip ahead, but I looked at your notes and it says that uh, there's going to be a Disney Plus remake of it. Yep. Yep. Which makes a lot of sense to me because it has... I don't know if this was like a movie that was intended for kids or if it was a Disney movie. I'm not, I can't, I don't, I didn't notice, but it had a very Disney-fied quality to it. Like it felt like Disney in space, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it's, it wasn't the scary space that we see in some of the other movies, even though some scary things happen, it didn't feel scary. We'll get into it, but like yeah. that yeah. makes perfect sense to me that, Disney Plus would pick up on this. Yeah, so it is a Disney movie. It was meant okay. for kids. Um, okay. Also, just for us in our own edification, I was thinking this as I was watching it because you also said you didn't care for the uh, special effects in this movie. Not so much um, I didn't care for them. They were just, like, very 1986. Yes, but so think about it this way. So this is a Disney movie, and only eight years before was The Black Hole which we also talked about. Yeah. So, like... The, I can't remember the effects in that one, though. That one was very, like, um... How do I want to say? Like, that was so kind of in the future that gravity mm. didn't need to, like, be 
and like a no gravity scenarios didn't even seem to need to happen because it's like in these ships we've figured it out like now so okay. we have gravity but here that's one of the weird things in terms of continuity is like sometimes when they're in space it looks like they're floating and other times it's like what is this what are they doing you know um yeah that's a good point so but probably the most important thing to say about this movie so this movie came out in 1986 it was released on the 6th of june 1986 unfortunately Mm. for them the challenger disaster had only happened five months before the 28th of january that same year and so by that point when the challenger exploded um the movie was already finished filming Mm. had been done um and then as now but especially like um my I don't know if this is really true but I always feel as though um now it seems like movies can play with their release date in a way where stuff feels kind of fluid or they can add something or change something yeah um with relative ease in a way that yeah. it, it feels like couldn't do at this time or like that the like kind of marketing machine was set in such a way that like we have to forge ahead even yeah, like they didn't know happened. how yet. Yeah, they didn't know how yet to pivot. Right. Like, so, needless to say, um, this movie was kind of seen as like a disaster, and mar- and a particular ch- marketing challenge. Let's say, mm. um, as soon as the Challenger blew up in the in the air. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, as a result, it only made. Where's my I just looked this up because I wanted to know for sure. Like, um, they spent a lot of money on this, um, Mm -hmm. as is often the case with Disney. Um, But yeah, so uh, the estimated budget is about $18 million, and uh, they made 9.6. Oh, no. gross and like all over the world that's about so they really um the challenger thing did seem to really put a kibosh on this and that's why i think it's interesting that disney plus has decided to revisit it um maybe because they're like over that now (laughs) well yes i would say we are in a sense but um i also like I, i found myself watching this in a very particular way because it also feels like a big long commercial for NASA. Yeah, but don't I mean sort of don't all I sort of feel like a lot of any movies having to do with space feel like a commercial for NASA in a way. Well, I I take your point, but like this is like space <laughs> Space Camp is real. Space Camp is run by yeah. the people, who, you know, like, yeah. It, and it was it was all about the shuttle because, and this is maybe a difference between you and I because of our ages. Um, I was alive through enough of the eighties as like a slightly more conscious being than you were, and the eighties <laughs> was like the shuttle, the shuttle, the shuttle is this big deal, and yeah, and I also know just from my own kind of like. Um, history of science reading the part of the reason why the shuttle 
that was like NASA trying to get people interested in space again, because mm-hmm. as we move into the 70s and then going to the moon and the orbiting the Earth, people got bored of it. They were like, well, yeah, and then flat whatever. earthers came along. <laughs> I mean, that was much later. Um, but so this shuttle program was NASA's attempt to try and get American people to be like, you know what, going to space is still kind of a big effing deal and mm, you should be excited mm-hmm. about it. And like every time I, we do it, we should like be really yeah. excited. Yeah. And I guess like that's where what do, we talked about something where I was like, do people really sit around at their TVs and like watch when there's a shuttle thing? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, they certainly did back then. Um, yeah. And that was part but of the point. And that's why the Challenger disaster was so like um, people watched in real time well that but also one of the things that the shuttle program was doing was bringing average like one person would be an average american person who would Mm. be allowed to go and in the challenger one it was uh a teacher it's a teacher and it's yeah krista mcauliffe yeah okay now but i guess i would say though that's very sad and terrible but if this movie that we watched was meant to be a commercial for NASA, I think they should have told a little different story. <laughs> I mean, I know it is it is triumphant in the end, but yeah, no, I this mean, wouldn't make me want to go to this camp. I'm gonna say that. Like, that's fair. This... That's totally fair. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about the cast because you were also saying yeah. that that was kind of your main appeal that to was, this movie. Yes. That was the thing I liked the best was the people in it. Yeah. Sure. So we start off with, um, I mean, this is an ensemble cast, so there's no one who's really the protagonist, but one of the main yeah. people is a character named Andy who is played by a 33-year-old Kate Capshaw um, mm-hmm. who most people probably know because she's Steven Spielberg's wife at this point. <sighs> I did not know that. Um, yeah, so she got married to Steven Spielberg in 1991, um, but she met him a couple years before this movie because she is the love interest for Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones and the Temple oh. of Doom. Uh, she's blonde huh. in that, so you might, if oh, that's part of... Oh, I don't of, know where I recognize her from then. I feel like I recognized her, but I don't know why. She's one of those people who's kind of interesting because she has a very short and select list of credits. She only has a total of 29. Hmm. Um, and she hasn't been in hmm. anything since 2002. Um, huh. But, she, like, Kate Capshaw is a name that people still know. And, like, um, is she and she's, still married to Spielberg? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, That's cute. So I don't totally know, like, it wasn't clear to me maybe what the choices were, but I suppose one could say that... Um, they were, it was like, I mean, Steven Spielberg was already Steven Spielberg in the 80s and 90s when she met him. Um, and I guess what I would imagine anyway is, like, it's quite hard in any partnership, not just a super Hollywood one, if both of you are going to have really demanding careers. Yeah, um, for sure. To, like, make that work. And so perhaps the feeling was like, I'm Maybe perfectly she decided. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm a perfectly good actress, but you're Steven Spielberg. So like, 
probably let you just take the wheel here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, our, our marriage you, will be about that. You'll pay the bills. That. I'll do some like, other things. Yeah, yeah, our marriage will be about that, and I will I will do other things with my time that give me fulfillment. And yeah, I will say she. Yeah, I will say she. And I've said this. I said this in another movie, and I don't know what it is, but she reminded me of Sigourney Weaver as well. It's because she wears tank tops so often. <laughs> it's the tank top lady in space <laughs> thing. Like, it's all just Sigourney Weaver to me. Yeah. Um, but I also thought it was interesting because uh, before she got into acting, she worked as a teacher. And she also has her master's in learning disabilities. Um, maybe she went back to teaching. Maybe she did that. Who knows? Um, hmm. So that's her. Then we mm-hmm. have Catherine, played by Leah Thompson. Uh, who was 25, so this is just before Back to the Future. Um, but Back to the Future came out before this. No, this is 86. Back to the Future doesn't come out till 88. Or no, 85. Really? I thought Wait, it was 85. Sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah. So, oh, that, so yeah, this ha- this comes out, Probably I guess, at the same right, time. kind of right after yeah. uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, or wait, no, I have it somewhere. Um, yeah, this was her next gig after Back to the Future. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say, I love a young Leah Thompson. I think For sure. she's adorable. She super is. Um, you may not have known uh, that she began doing ballet as her primary thing. Uh-huh. Um, but uh-huh. that, and she did quite well. So well, in fact, that finally um, she got somehow into the orbit of Mikhail Baryshnikov, who told her that she was a really wonderful dancer, but just too stocky. To... What a dick. I know. Um, so she then transitions into acting and actually was dating Dennis Quaid for a while in mm. the early 80s. Mm. And he became her acting coach. Um, mm. And then um, she is also the mom of the actress Zoe Deutsch. Or Deutsch. I don't really know how to pronounce her name. Huh. Have I you seen that actor. You probably do know her. She's been in a lot of different stuff. She always plays a bit of a zany oh. kind of. She's got uh, brown hair. Hmm. Um, she's in, You know what she's in? She's in this movie that I feel very bad for liking. Um, it's a <laughs> rom-com called Set It Up. And it's where oh. she is the assistant to a very intense um, like executive type. And then a different handsome person is an executive assistant to a very intense executive type and then they collude together to make their executives fall in love so that then the two of them will have more free time oh wow that's yeah. intense it's it's actually as rom-coms go not the worst one you've ever see um okay so uh anything else oh some other stuff oh, she was also in Zombieland. i just watched i i looked her up oh yeah and- she is yes that's right. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I, oh, now I know who she was in Zombie. Oh, that's so funny. Zombieland yeah. double tapped the second one. Okay. Yes. Uh, and when I realized that she was the daughter of Leah Thompson, I was like, oh, I can kind of see. Yeah. See, I only saw her in that yeah. one movie and she had that funny blonde. She had blonde hair. But when you see her with her more natural color. Yeah, I can totally see it. Yeah. Um, so the other kind of infamous movie that Leah Thompson has been in is also something that came out in the same year a space camp 1986 which is howard the duck um <laughs> which have you ever seen that movie do you no. know what it is 
Okay. No. Uh, that may also be one that we eventually cover <laughs> on this podcast because it's about a um, duck named Howard. Well, yes, but the premise <laughs> is is that he's from space, and there's a planet where ducks have human. I don't want to watch that. I'm not going to watch. It was. <laughs> it was like. That. I think it's based on a comic book, actually, but like. Um, that sounds like it was super panned. It's like, t- and it actually really affected her career for quite a while. Before is it live um, action? Like where the yes. duck and she yes. plays herself? And I think play? she's like the love interest for the duck. Ew. Um, yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, not. No. I'm Poor not kidding. I know, but anyway, so she had, so she had these like weird kind of. I wouldn't say, like, I don't. When you're a young actor, you can't really control. Then she was in that sitcom you. called Caroline in the City or something. Yes. yes. I remember um, her from that. I liked that show. But she's recovered now from <laughs> these early days and has, you know, got a pretty good career um, and has quite a few. I noticed, like, stuff of hers is coming out, you know, she's got a few different projects that are set to come mm-hmm. out over the next little while. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have the character named Tish played by a 24-year-old Kelly Preston, who I had kind of forgotten she was in this movie. Um, I had to look up who that was because I was like, who is that girl? I can picture her older, but who is she? Yeah, and I, uh, you probably will not be surprised that when I first watched this movie as a young child of the age of six you or seven, to be her? Tish was like the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in Yeah, she's life. adorable. I mean, I have <laughs> questions. I have like... I have, like, some questions about, like, her fashion, but, like, yeah, she's adorable. Yeah, um, and she is, because, yeah, she's so young in this. Um, I also realized I had forgotten she died in 2020. Yeah. Um, at a pretty young age, I think she was only 57, um, and she died of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we also know that she has been married, she was married to John Travolta, since 1991. Um, yeah, that was probably her biggest mistake for me, but whatever. <laughs> well, I think she's also a Scientologist, which is not great. I know. Um, but then they also had yeah. Tragedy 2, because, like, their son died. Like, you yeah. know, there's various stuff that her life, I think, outside of the realm of movies was quite challenging in many ways. Yeah. Um, but uh, her real big break is not this movie, but actually one that comes, I think, two years later, which is Twins. Um, is she that plays the Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, Danny, DeVito Danny DeVito joint? Vehicle? <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct. Uh, where they play Twins. Um, yeah, clearly, and, of course. What I mean, who else uh, would? Yes, um, and and just in case you're worried, that's also on our list to maybe discuss someday because that's a what that's, in the. Oh, because it, it's an wait. experiment of how uh-huh, they uh-huh. end up that way. <laughs> okay. um, but then as well, her other... So she plays Arnold Schwarzenegger's love interest in that. And then, mm-hmm. um, of course, she's also quite famously uh, referenced in Jerry Maguire because she's Jerry's ex who's, like, quite mean or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, I'm now thinking, like, every time I've seen her in anything, she looks completely different from the time before yeah, she's a little bit know? of a chameleon yeah well because she's someone who 
I mean, I guess a lot of actors change their hair color, but like she looks good in a lot of different hair colors. Yeah. Um, next we have the character Rudy, who was another one that I recognized and I was pretty sure I knew where from, but I wanted, I had to look up to be sure. Um, so this is played by an actor named Larry B. Scott, who's also 25. Um, Mm -hmm. in many ways, he's actually the most experienced person on this cast at the time. Um, Mm. which means that he's been acting the long, or at least his credits go back the farthest of anyone. Um, Mm -hmm. his first credit is in 1977. Most everyone else, including Kate Capshaw, doesn't start having credits until like 80 or 81. Mm. Um, he of course plays the famous Lamar in Revenge of the Nerds. Um, yep. Have you ever seen Revenge of the Nerds? Uh, I actually don't think I have, or at least not all the way through. Yeah, so he plays a character that, um, at the time is very much meant to read as gay. Um, oh. but, you know, I, I know nothing about Larry B. Scott's personal life. Um, <laughs> then he, and he also, like, he never really breaks, but he does work pretty regularly until 2002, um, and then his credits start to be quite few and far between, um, but he does make an appearance again as Lamar in an upcoming, some kind of seeming reboot of Revenge of the Nerds called Spring oh, Break cute. 86 or something, so, oh, cute. um, we'll see him again, <laughs> perhaps, in time, um, Next, we have the character Max, who was played by Joaquin this Phoenix. This was very cute. Yeah, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who was 12 at the time. So at the time, he was actually going by the name Leaf Phoenix. Oh. Um, and so he is the sibling to River and Rain Phoenix. And what I learned is that, in fact, he actually changed his... So he was born as Joaquin... Because at the time, his parents were living in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Okay. And so they gave him a Spanish name. Yeah. Um, but then he changed, he decided to change his name to Leaf to match his To siblings. match his brothers? That's yeah. so funny. Wait, is Rain a boy? I think Rain is a girl. Oh, okay, okay. I'm I was going to say, because... Sure. Leaf River and Rain. I was gonna say, tell me you're a hippie without telling me you're a hippie. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. And that's the other thing. Oh yeah, Rain Phoenix is a woman. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, so the reason though, this is we don't need to super get bogged down in this because it's really depressing. So uh the reason they're absolutely hippies because they belonged to a cult called the Children of God. Um, really yes have you heard heard of that cult before i have but i can't remember which one is what but i that yeah i've definitely heard of that so children of god originated in california it was run by a guy named david berg um Mm -hmm. and he was of the jesus freak persuasion um (laughs) right which is i'm like that's not a that's like a real term that they used themselves these were people who like in the 60s um, and 70s were like, you know what's even cooler than Acid Man? Doing Acid and talking Jesus. about Jesus. You know, like, <laughs> that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's a cult because, unsurprisingly, everything was really about David Berg, who mm-hmm. insisted on everyone calling him Dad, which is gross. Um, yeah. 
and uh, as well, Children of God and David Berg as the mouthpiece of the religion um, actively encouraged an idea that children can be... Children are as sexual as adults and should be having sex uh, pretty much from the time of their birth and that um, sex between adults and children is not a problem and more than that, that sex between family members is not a problem. And to that, I say yikes. Yes. And (laughs) so... And, like, now, I will say, and there's whole podcasts about this, so if this is sounding interesting to you, do look for other ones that it's called Children <laughs> of God. the cult, cult um, podcasts. <laughs> um, but, like, basically, not, so, because Children of God has changed its name um, and still exists today, and one of their components, really? yeah, one of the components, and this is why, for example, Joaquin was born in Puerto Rico, is its mission stuff. They're sent around. Oh, yeah, yeah to different places in the world. And so not everyone who was in this cult even at this time, um, because now I think it's called the Family International. So it still exists. Um, So not everyone in the cult necessarily knew about this stuff because it was very much kind of David and his inner circle and some other people kind of being more into it than others. Yeah. Well, Um, it's how... It's how Scientology has been able to right. continue. But cause... I will, I am fairly certain that River Phoenix, like, they were close enough to some inner circle shit that he, I think he was, I think he even talked publicly before he ended up overdosing, um, that that some of that had touched his life, you know? Yeah. Um, so, anyway, that's just, this is just... Probably to me, it's a really interesting backstory to a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, so the family was in Puerto Rico when Joaquin was born. Mm-hmm. They moved back to the LA area soon after ish. And then for whatever reason, all of the kids start doing acting. Um, hmm. And they all have success quite quickly. Um, and so, it, Leaf, as he was at the time, this is his first movie role. Um, he, he was did so quite a cute. Lot. He was really cute. He did, unsurprisingly, before this, he did a lot of commercials and stuff, hmm. you know, where you need, like, a round cheek kid to sell you something. Yeah. Um, and then after that, he, after this, he was in the movie Parenthood. He plays um, hmm. one of the kids in that. Um, but he, after that time, he takes uh, a break from acting basically because he was like, there just aren't, for kids, there aren't really good acting roles. Um, yeah. like you, or I guess like things that didn't seem interesting or challenging to him or whatever. Um, so he left and then he comes back in 1995 with the movie To Die For, where he plays, um, like the teen love interest of Nicole Kidman in that movie um and then goes on to increasing success with things like Gladiator and Walk the Line um and he now has an upcoming movie where he's gonna play Napoleon Bonaparte so I think that'll probably 
turn and into the, some and the sort Joker, of, obviously. Well, right. I mean, I'm sure he'll get some sort of Oscar nomination, probably for this phone apart thing, unless the movie yeah. is totally stupid. Um, yeah. Then and his brother's girlfriend was Samantha Mathis at the time of death, and she was there. That's I don't know why I thought Courtney Love. But. I mean, they look a bit the same, and I bet they would have looked very <laughs> similar at that time. But she's just a yeah. different blonde lady. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then the final character we need to know about is a character named Kevin, played by a 23-year-old Tate Donovan, um, Mm -hmm. who you've seen in a million things, but he too is like maybe more like a B-list type star. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been friends with George Clooney since the early 80s. They like kind of um, at that time probably were of a similar kind of level of success and caliber so they became friends and have remained friends um Mm -hmm. he's been engaged to both sandra bullock and jennifer aniston at different times in his life he was on friends he 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 was on friends Friends. um he well he and he was in love potion number nine with sandra bullock which is how i imagine they came into Mm. contact with each other um he has been in the oc and damages he was also, I don't think he was in the episode we watched of it, but he's also been in Man in the High Castle, which we talked about. Hmm. Um, I like him. Yeah, I, he's I a good no actor. Uh, and he has some, he too has some stuff coming out. Um, and I think probably, if this movie is any indication, I think kind of what he's best at is like a certain type of white guy that... <laughs> is is Boring. not not like bad to the core but who has has a some, little smarmy has some good qualities but who really and truly because the world often just breaks in their favor no matter what they do doesn't feel compelled to try and therefore says really annoying things to everybody else around him yeah um i think he's got i think it's called the the medical term is mediocre white man syndrome mm. um I think he's got it. Yeah. I like him. And that's me saying that. And I like him. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, there's also brief appearances by Tom Skerritt and even briefer by Terry O'Quinn. Um, we don't really need to talk about them because they're the people in like the control ground. Yeah, control I recognize room. both of them, though. Um, but we don't really need them to understand what we're yeah. doing here. So let's just dive in to this film um we we don't there's like this weird opening scene where we see childhood andy which i don't even think is relevant to anything so we're not even gonna discuss it um we arrive at an air force base and we are introduced to both andy and her husband zach and zach she's like she's like getting out of a fighter jet or something like and he's walking up to her so we so right away we know that Andy is like a very accomplished, no-nonsense type of person. Yeah. And um, she, Zach has found her to tell her that she has not been selected as an astronaut for like whatever this next mission is that's coming down the pipeline. Um, and she's unsurprisingly quite upset about that. Um, I forget, she mentions something and it's like, oh, somebody else was chosen in her place. Uh-huh. Um, and she feels that they are not equivalent. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And so as well, right away, we get a kind of, it's not made explicit, I guess, because it's a Disney movie and for kids, but it, you get this very strong whiff of like, they've chosen a man and not you. Yeah. Um, and it kind yeah, of makes yeah. no, dif- it makes no difference how accomplished you are. They're going to choose this guy. Yeah. Um, and worse yet in the sexism realm, rather than just being like, well, okay, I'll, I guess I'll just go off and do some other like paperwork or whatever. Um, she's now being told that she has to go to space camp to take care of children. Yeah. That's <laughs> even though I wouldn't call a lot of these people in that we watch in the movie, like children, children, cause they seem like full blown adults to me, but um, yeah, that would be, that would be infuriating in so many ways. Yeah. To be told that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say, especially as an accomplished woman who's just been told, you're not getting this thing because you're not a man, but you absolutely must do this thing where you're going to clean up after babies. Like, um, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, okay. That's a big hell no. So yeah. Bye. So then we cut to space camp. Um, and I, th- if I remember correctly, this is shot, some of this actually is shot at the space in Huntsville. It sort of um, looks like it. And we start in the parking lot and the parking lot, of course, is like where we're getting all of our establishing shots of like the main characters. Most importantly, we see that Kevin is a real cool guy who owns a red Jeep. Um, and he's... That's Tate Donovan. I always forget stupid character names. Okay. Yes. And he's playing loud music, and he's devil may care. Um, (laughs) and I was like, what is this song? That's because it's very loud. Like... Yeah. Um, because... So I was like, oh, we are really meant to pay attention (laughs) to that he's playing this song. (laughs) And it's Forever Man by Eric Clapton. Um, and so he's, like, rocking out to this song... And then Andy drives up behind him. She has a really dope red convertible. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy and Zach drive up behind him. And, um, like, they have a little bit of a tiff where uh, they're like, you need to get out of my parking spot. <laughs> and then as Kevin is, like, readjusting to move out, to move his car elsewhere... In, do we see, like, somebody's flying a biplane into space camp? Um, and who should pop out of that but Catherine? Um, and right away we see that Kevin is, like, entrusted by this woman who has just gotten out of the plane. Um, so... We then, which is dumb because she might be horrible. Yeah, he knows nothing about her whatsoever, other than that she can fly <laughs> a plane. But he's interested. I and mean, that, that is pretty cool. But like, yeah, well, I guess he knows that she can fly a plane and she's cute. So I mean, there are worse starting points, I suppose. As things go, I suppose the plane thing makes it kind of okay because that is an attractive quality, right? To be able to like, it's do not a thing. exclusively just her looks <laughs> that okay. have that makes him. it palatable. <laughs> um. And so he's basically trying to find any way to get near to her. So he ends up, like, picking up a badge. Like, he overhears that she's going to be on the blue team. And so 
he's not assigned to the blue team, so he picks up a blue team badge and goes. And then we are, like, outside of the facility somewhere, and Andy is being introduced to the blue team, the people that she's going to, the kids that she's going to work with. And so it's Catherine, Kevin, Rudy, Tish, and Max. So Andy... Now, I also have another question about this camp. Okay. Rudy is, uh, wait, no, Max. I, I don't know names. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. Max is Joaquin Phoenix? Yes. He looks 10. Yes. The rest of these people, I'm assuming, are meant to be like I think 16 to 18. Yeah, I think that's right. Do those two ages seem like they would go to camp together? Because I think no. <laughs> well, no, that's the whole thing. So... First of all, Max has snuck into the group. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, and Andy says, that. you're supposed to be at the junior camp. Oh, and I didn't remember that. And Max says, I forget, he I, he doesn't make clear, but basically, um, it sounds like he's been at junior camp a couple years already. And he's like, I'm bored of it. Yeah. I want to be in with this group. And so she's, okay. she relents and says, okay, fine. But like the second anything goes wrong, you're going back down to junior camp. Like, okay, fine. Yeah, so okay. I'm not gonna question it any further, but okay. <laughs> uh so then uh, so she begins by introducing herself to the group. And Catherine already knows who she is, of course, because Catherine it, it's very quickly established that Catherine um aims is the to smartest f- one. Well, she aims to follow in Andy's footsteps. <laughs> like she also yeah. wants to be um a female astronaut. Yeah. Um, we learn that Andy was the first female pilot to be accepted into the astronaut training program. Um, mm-hmm. so she's a very serious, accomplished woman. Um, she doesn't seem to have any particular reaction to Rudy at all. But then when she sees <laughs> Tish, who is, do you want to try and describe what Tish looks like? Oh, I can't remember her particular outfit. Like, at the beginning, but the way I would describe her look, it's going to be judgmental, but sure. um, she looks like an airhead. Like, yes. she looks like a ditzy, I'm trying to think of nicer nicer word than that, but she looks kind of ditzy. She wears lots of glitter yep. and, you know, has a little, I feel like a, a denim skirt with, like, pink uh, leggings underneath. I don't know if that's actually what it is, but... Um, and she wears lots of bracelets, you know, yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's how I would, a little she's got a little, yeah, she's got curly hair, um, that is the curl of the eighties and yeah. then like a whole, um, like a half ponytail that's on the top of her head that like poofs mm-hmm. out, um, very kind of Cindy Lou who like a side pony a um, little bit. And then of course, yeah, as you say, she's got very. I wouldn't even say it's aggressive makeup, but it is very 80s where, like, it's not even glitter. It's, like, little sequins. It's, like, press-ons. Yeah. I mean, there was one part, like, spoiler alert, (laughs) when they go to space. Right. And, like, she's wearing, like, an actual, like, um, helmet and everything. And then she's got these, like, pressed-on rhinos on her face. I'm like, this seems incongruous. (laughs) Right, right. Right. So she has that. Yeah. She ha- and she, I think she's also like chewing gum and like popping yeah. it and stuff. And so Andy like you can say you 
felt judgmental describing her. Andy is even more judgmental and is basically like a very second wave feminist reaction of like, you can't okay, look, dumb bitch. <laughs> yeah, like you can't look like this and have me take you seriously. You are clearly yeah. not smart. Um, <laughs> but Tish tells us in this moment, and I thought it was interesting. She says that the reason she's at space camp is because she's interested in finding out about the existence of extraterrestrial life. So, like, that's huh. her main kind of um, appeal here, or the appeal for her, I should say. Um, mm. So, so we've got this ragtag bunch. Um, and then finally, uh, Kevin emerges and it turns out that he, the badge he picked up on the table to be on, in Catherine's team says that he's Hideo Takamini, um, which clearly he is not a Japanese person. Um, so everyone was like, what's the deal with you? And at this point, I was like, the security in this thing seems real I lax. Mean, <laughs> like, and we're talking like space camp here, guys. The, and I was even thinking before, like when you said he he's not in the blue group, but he like picked up a new badge and was like, I feel like that's something that only happens in movies where people yeah, are like, it would just I'm be like, switch. go to the thing you were assigned to. Like, just They'd be go. like, that's not your like, fucking name. Get out of yeah. here. Like. and especially if you consider that like everyone in this let's say everyone is not 18 in this uh camp it is they would have to it would be essential to know where people under the age of eight like children of course under the age of 18 are at all times you cannot allow people to be like just doing whatever of course. Um, and when you said before, like, the thing about Max, that she says, okay, fine, you can stay here, but, like, the minute something goes wrong, we send you back. How about the minute before something goes wrong? Also because true. Once, once it's gone wrong, it's, I mean, I know they don't expect anything to go quite as wrong as it does. No. But, like, once it's wrong, <laughs> does sending him back, I don't know. It's just, right. like, very yeah. interesting logic. Indeed. Um, so then also Andy is like doling out um, like positions on the team at this juncture, which seems kind of too early because you don't actually know anyone's skills at this point yeah. uh, to be assigning them things. Um, but basically she, she's now assigned all the roles. She's got Catherine and Kevin left and the final remaining roles are pilot and mission commander. And Catherine of course says, she wants to be mission commander. This is like, you know, she's practicing. She's aiming to be an astronaut. That's what she wants to do. She wants to be mission commander. And and she's like, and what would you like, Kevin? And and he's like, oh, I don't care. I don't want to be anything. Give it to Catherine if she wants it so badly. Mm-hmm. And in a very typical, I'm going to say, boomer way of handling things, I, I definitely <laughs> had stuff like this happen to me. And it's like the complete... BS thing. I don't understand why people do this. Andy looks at them and is like, Kevin's going to be mission decide. commander oh. and Catherine is going to be the pilot. So she does the opposite oh. of what they both say that they want. Um, mm-hmm. And I truly, I'm like, I don't see why anyone would do that. If one person says, I want to do this thing, someone else says, I definitely don't want to do that thing. Why on earth would you then be like, I'm 
I'm doing the opposite of what because we're said, challenging right? them. We're make, get, making them a more well-rounded person. I, and I agree, that's horse shit. I just, I'm like, there's, a, you're punishing one, you're punishing them both. Um, and, you're, and I also have a question. What is the difference between a commander and a pilot? <laughs> so, I mean, the I, pilot obviously does the physical driving of the ship, I assume. Yes, you drive a ship. When you're the pilot. The commander just, like, tells the... Well, yes, I know. But, like, so the pilot is the one who's physically doing that. And commander is just the one that's sort of, like, in charge and yelling yeah. the commands. <laughs> I guess... Okay, fine. Yes. I answered my own question. Okay, You've forget it. You've worked it out perfectly. <laughs> well done. Um, So they're both pissed about this. And, again, that's the whole thing. It's like... And, I, and really what actually is happening is Andy is pissed about how she hasn't been selected and Mm -hmm. she's like oh this girl wants to do something fuck that you better get used to not getting what you want yeah totally and again I'm like that's some second wave feminist bullshit like you don't need to spiteful you don't need to carry your sour grapes into this teaching and learning experience (laughs) um And so, so what people do. I know. And then also, um, unsurprisingly, like, because this is the the place where the team has started from a place of, like, where the two people most in charge are actively irritated, the team does (laughs) not come together even at all. So Andy is, like, walking everybody through the different, like, um, I guess, like, training facility things and she's showing them different equipment um Mm -hmm. and this is where we are introduced to the robot jinx yeah um and max seems like especially drawn to jinx in a way that i don't fully understand um but that will be important for later so let's just put a pin in that for now okay outside rudy and kevin are talking and Rudy reveals that he really loves science. He's always taking science classes, but he, that he's not very good at it. Um, that's like mm-hmm. his thing to sort of, quote unquote, overcome. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, on the other hand, though, and again, this is what I mean by like Tate Donovan playing <laughs> like these white guy roles where it's like, why do you even care at all? Like, and that's basically yeah. what he says to Rudy. He's like, if you're not good at science why do you like keep trying to do it um Uh why try at anything like yeah why not just do i mean i don't disagree with that (laughs) but yes i know i i see your point um yeah because my handwritten notes just say kevin is such and such in all capital letters a white guy (laughs) (laughs) just like you know because i will say like so there's there's a couple responses to what you said about like, I kind of agree with them, which is I think that there is something to be said for like, if trying to do something and it's not working and now you're miserable because you keep trying, then that's probably a sign to like, let go of that thing, whatever it is. But if you love it so much and even though you're like not great at it, you still get like genuine pleasure and enjoyment then yeah, for sure fine and also there is something to be said for like sometimes you do actually have to try at something for yes. a while to like get good yes. at it and that's fine 
Um, of course. I Yes. And yes. And just being like, as soon as you're not good at something, give up on it. It definitely right. isn't the way to go in life. I get that. Right. But and then it is also, a little bit the way that I am. <laughs> and then also you can layer on top of it the actual kind of like white privilege that somebody like Kevin has where it's like, yeah, I don't well, have you can to just be like, like oh, work that, I'm hard. Not yeah. And something else will um, yeah. emerge. And so then I don't have to worry. You know, whereas Rudy yeah. is like, look, you know, well, I don't know what he's like. But, like, you have to assume it's like, I can't just, like, let this thing go and assume another thing is going to come along. Like, sure, your life seems to be determined by this belief that things will just work themselves out. Yeah. Something else will come along. And for you, that's probably true. But, like, yeah. I can't assume that that's yeah. how it's going to be for me. You know, so that's... No, yeah, totally. Kind of, that's, to me, the vibe I get out of this. Sure. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, then we follow them into the boys' dormitory, and we discover that somehow Max has stolen Jinx from wherever Jinx was. And that's, Again, security is I know, security is really bad. not good here. And especially because <laughs> I think they say in the previous scene where they introduced Jinx, that he's worth, like, $27 million or something. Like, this space camp is terrible. So, that's weird. But then, <laughs> um, like, when the other boys in the dorm realize that Jinx is there, they start kind of, like, fucking with him and, like, asking him to do things and, like, basically making so many requests that Jinx breaks down. That's, okay, yeah. Because uh, this is not great technology. Despite all, all of the money poured into it, this technology is <laughs> Despite not... the fact it's worth $27 million, some yeah. kids have managed to break it in days. Not even days, in like a couple minutes. Um, oh my god. So then we go into this room that looks like a museum, honestly. I'm not really sure what it is. And mm. um, somehow little tiny Max is able to fix Jinx. And this is when... <sighs> They become friends forever. And that's my <laughs> Jinx voice. That's kind of okay. how it sounds. Um, and this friends forever thing. Friends is... forever. That's what that reminds me of. What is that? Oh, it's just a song from Saved by the Bell. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay, great. Um, <laughs> so, but this whole Jinx being friends with Max thing is like the the start of the ball rolling toward trouble. <laughs> so then we get our as is obligatory in movies like this, we've got got a training montage um yeah. where kind of most of the dialogue is ADR of Andy saying stuff to Catherine about like how Catherine is not doing things the way she's supposed to do them. She's really hard on Catherine. <laughs> yes, she's really hard on Catherine and then we get into this final scene of this montage where Catherine is in some weird like gyroscope thing. Yeah. And Andy is like, "So you're the pilot and what this gyroscope is going to mimic is sometimes as you're coming in to land, like not onto the ground, but when you're re-entering the Earth's atmosphere." Mm -hmm. you can go into like various types of weird spins 
And your job as the pilot is that you have to stabilize in 30 seconds because if you don't do that, then you're going to burn up on re-entry. Oh, right, right, right. So she's like, okay, so you have 30 seconds. Go start getting it together. Needless to say, Catherine, who who has been bullied this whole time, um, (laughs) does not perform well in this scenario. Uh, She doesn't stabilize in the requisite 30 seconds. And Andy is like, okay, let's all move on. You're not good at this. And Catherine is like... (laughs) Uh, and that's so, really good teaching right there I by know. the way you didn't Let's do it move on, on the first you try suck. yeah you didn't do it on the very first try so you're never gonna learn it um yeah, failure but so then Catherine is like let me practice I know I can get it and Andy kind of like makes a face but she's like okay fine and walks away <laughs> with the rest of the team Kevin then walks up behind Catherine and is like you really shouldn't like take Andy quite so seriously, um, which is good advice, I would say. Um, yeah. But then it all seems to kind of not be that he's trying to be friendly, but rather, like, he wants to take her on a date, so then I'm very skeptical of the advice. Um, <laughs> so he says, like, let's go and go look at the launch pad, And she's like, that's against the rules. And he's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. So then the next scene is where they are on this date at the launch pad. And Kevin hasn't actually, like, taken care of anything. All he's done is he asked Jinx if there was a route to drive to the launch pad that that none of the counselors would see. So that's what he's done to get them there. Uh, Catherine, on the other hand, believes that this is, like, a totally, like, approved uh adventure or whatever um so they're sitting they're sitting watching the shuttle on the launch pad and talking about their dreams um and again kevin hears like Catherine's plan which is quite elevated i would say um (laughs) and he's like why do you even try so hard there's no point and (laughs) He's fun. Uh, he pisses on everyone's fucking party. Like, he's just like, why bother? Um, he is fun. That's all I can think of to say. He's such, he, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, such a ray of sh- sunshine in everyone's <laughs> lives. Just bringing yeah. good vibes everywhere he goes. <laughs> um, but, like, of course, uh, because it's an 80s movie, he's not really, like, held accountable for these negative feelings or opinions um instead Catherine is like I know what your whole deal is you don't try because you're actually afraid of failure now again that's probably a good assessment I think that's true but the thing that really bugs me about when stories do this (laughs) is that what what we see as the audience is that a woman has to be an actual mind reader um, and, like, pick up on, like, hints and clues and I don't know what all and then say back to a man, this is your problem. Like, <laughs> and and somehow by doing that, the man, like, learns about Breaks himself. Down. Like, yeah, I'm like, 
women don't have to be the like vehicle for men to have emotional intelligence or like understand sure. something she about could, their she could she could shut him down because truthfully in the amount of time i don't know the exact trajectory here how long at this point they would have known each other it's not in the movie, clear in the movie it feels like not very long if someone no. was just like constantly that i didn't know very well was constantly just like don't worry about it give up everything sucks just give up don't try this and like was just being a piece of shit <laughs> and like not I'd taking like, you know anything I don't like seriously that guy. yeah yeah but like i'd be like you know he's i'm not gonna even bother like yeah i'm i might say to my friends yeah he's like majorly afraid of failure what a yeah loser. yeah but you I might not, like, like give him that right like you might to yourself be like to just for me personally to understand this behavior my mm-hmm. assessment is he's insecure and afraid of failure okay great fine moving on um but i certainly don't think it would be my job to inform that person of that um and i certainly don't think that then i would deliver that information and then be like and now let's kiss um when he when he shows a slight like break in his earlier like veneer um but of course that is what happens so they kiss <laughs> and in the midst of the kiss they're caught by the counselors who have been looking for them this whole time uh Catherine is of course extremely pissed off because she was under the impression that this was okay but of course it was not um so then we return to space camp and Andy and or not Andy and, uh Catherine and Kevin have been disciplined and so like uh, we see Catherine kind of storming out. We don't actually see them be disciplined. We see, like, the aftermath. So, like, Catherine is, like, storming out, and Andy follows her, and this is when Catherine is like, Andy, why have you been so hard on me? And what is Andy's mm-hmm. response to that? Basically, it's, like, your typical response in a movie. I feel like it's, like, because I know you're better than this, and you can do this, and I want you to be better so i'm pushing you right and i forget exactly which is also some kind of horse shit for me yeah i don't love it it's not it's just not a tactic that works for me personally yeah like some people do really respond to being challenged and or probably being, a person like Catherine might be one of those people Yeah, and people in these types of, like, high-pressure jobs, and it is different, obviously, in a job where you're in fucking space and it is (laughs) high-pressure and you do have to perform under, like, duress, so it's maybe different than, like, being in theater. But, like, um, (laughs) but I really don't do well with negative reinforcement. Right. That does not work for me. I shut down, so this this would not work for me. Well, the other thing that I thought was weird about this interchange is Andy says, the only reason I've had any success is because, you know, people treated me the way I'm treating you. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, but the opening of the movie is that you haven't had any success. Yeah, and you got shit on for it. Yeah, you've not been able to do the one primary thing you've been dreaming of doing since you were a child. So why are you saying that you're successful and that by following your lead Catherine will be successful 
as because she has to say that she has well yes she has to believe it i know but like (laughs) but um, yes but point taken and i also understand that she has been successful in many ways but in terms of like what i would imagine andy's own estimation of she her could be own more career successful. yeah is yeah. like i have not i have not gotten the thing that i have been aiming to do you know yeah. my entire professional life that has not happened yeah um so anyway uh but i guess andy and Catherine are of a similar cloth, cut from a similar cloth because they now are like fine with each other as a result of this conversation <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, Kevin storms into the boys' dormitory and really yells at Max um, because he holds him responsible because even though Jinx was the one that told him, like, this is the way to get out of the camp without anyone noticing, um, you know, Max and Jinx are this, like, bonded pair. And Mm -hmm. so Kevin can't yell at a robot. Like... He could try, I suppose. He could. But the robot's not going to react. Um, but Max, of course, is really hurt, and Kevin is, I forget exactly what he says, but he's like, get out of here and go as far away as possible. So Max runs out crying. He comes back to his place of safety, this weird museum room, um, and as he's crying, he doesn't know. Jinx overhears him. Max is like, I wish I could go far away. I wish I could be in space as far away as I could be, and here we go. This is... Where, where the trouble be- really begins. Um, so, we're going to jump to, like, what is actually necessary to figuring out how these kids end up in space. Yeah. So, some days later, again, not totally clear. Let's just say space camp is meant to last two weeks, because that sounds reasonable okay. to me. Um, Tish and Catherine are walking through, like, the various, like, um, training equipment, and they see Tom Skerritt, a.k.a. Zach, a.k.a. Andy's husband, putting up a notice on a bulletin board, and it says that in some days hence, um, all of the kids in space camp are going to be able to participate in um, an engine test of the real shuttle. Mm-hmm. The shuttle, I think they, they're calling it Atlantis. I think that's right. Um, I can't remember. Jinx happens to be literally rolling through at the same time uh, mm-hmm. and overhears this information. And um, so he, I, I, again, I always want to call these particular robots he um, when, in fact, they are neither thing. They are a robot. Um, yeah. Jinx hears I feel like this. very often the, the voices are male sounding. Men, no? Yeah. So... Yeah, um, this one definitely had a weird male-ish quality to yeah. it, though I, I couldn't tell you why I felt yeah, that, <laughs> but I did. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Jinx hears this information, and it's like, this is the chance to send Max to space. So then again, Jinx rolls into this weird, <laughs> empty computer room. Again, the security situation here is very strange. Because what we're meant to believe is that the computers in this abandoned room can link to the shuttle. Uh, yeah, wait, what? Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, because when Jinx makes the 
thermal curtain failure happen, it's by mm-hmm. using the computers in this room, not the ones in ground control. That is so weird. So there's this abandoned room full of computers that no one is watching that Jinx can access. And this is how this all transpired, which is nuts, seems to me. Um, so that's, that's what we next see is Jinx goes into this big empty room. All these computers like were into life. Jinx also seems to be like its head comes up out of its weird round body and it whirs around and there are lights going. Um, and, and Jinx works in tandem with these other big supercomputers. And what they work out is that if a thermal curtain failure happens, then the only, while Max in the, is in the shuttle, mm-hmm. then the only way to respond to that is to launch the shuttle. Um, now, just as a little FYI, I did some looking around to some of the, like, actual things that happened in this movie, and you might not be surprised to know that there's quite a lot of writing on this in the internet of people being like, this doesn't exist, this couldn't happen, this is done not right. (laughs) There's quite a lot. I I mean, I know, I know literally zero about NASA and shuttle launches and whatnot, but just the cursory stuff that I know seems like an accidental launch is so nearly impossible. Yeah. And so specifically the thing that is that Jinx latches onto here is that they're going to trigger a thermal curtain failure. And from all I've been able to gather from the internet, that isn't a thing. There is no such thing as a thermal curtain failure. Um, and but in the context of this movie it exists um so cut to now the team is climbing on to the shuttle atlantis to do their little engine test um and the test is meant to last 20 minutes um Mm -hmm. but it does mean that the whole team including max because this is the whole thing is Jinx is just wanting to send Max to space. And it, these other people are just collateral damage, basically. <laughs> um, so they, they get in. They're all doing their bits to do the engine test. And then uh, all of a sudden... Uh, oh, wait. I've gotten lost in my handwritten notes. Okay, here we go. Um, and then all of a sudden, this thermal curtain failure happens. And everyone, both in the shuttle and at ground control, starts to freak out. Which, fair enough. Granted, yeah. Um, and so basically, like, how the movie portrays what a thermal curtain failure is, is that, um, so a shuttle has, like, various rocket boosters that carry okay. it into space. Okay. And so there are two on the side, and then one big one, on like, on the bottom of the shuttle. Mm-hmm. And what a thermal curtain failure is in the world of this movie is that one of those rocket boosters on the side is going to start powering up, but none of the other boosters will. And so basically what that will do is like launch the shuttle just enough to like pitch it back into the ground Yikes. and crash. That's, that's the, that's what it looks like anyway. 
Okay. Um, so basically, once this thermal curtain failure begins to happen, what they have to do is activate the additional uh, boosters so that the shuttle will yeah so the so the response yeah. is you'll launch and you won't crash into the ground right next to the launch pad got it um so that's what's happening everyone's freaking out andy gets on like the comms to um she like first of all is like Catherine, get out of the pilot seat i need to like she takes over and then yeah. she tells ground control you have to launch us like you have to activate these other boosters um, or else we're going to blow up on the launch pad. Um, Yikes. So, yeah, not good. Um, so that is what happens. Ground control starts just doing an act, all the procedures for an actual launch. Um, and in fact, they manage to begin the launch. Um, and then we have a great line delivered by Tom Skerritt in really excellent fa- fashion. He says... My God, we have liftoff. <laughs> uh, and that is what happened. They managed to go through the initial processes of liftoff, um, which involves like those two rocket boosters on the side eventually being jettisoned, and then also the rocket booster on the back eventually being jettisoned. Um, and then once the shuttle is in space, it can operate on its own fuel that's in there. Um Unfortunately, though... It doesn't sound good, any of it. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, though, this particular shuttle was not... Like, I think they say something like it wasn't supposed to really launch for, like, another month or so. It wasn't, like, fully ready. No. So it's not ready. So it doesn't have long-range radio. So they so once they've gotten into space, they can't contact Earth at all. Yikes. Um, And we discover some other things that it doesn't have. Um... But first, we have this very, and this is, I think, maybe why it's a Disney movie and why it doesn't feel quite as um, bad as, like, some of our other <laughs> space problem movies. Yeah. Is they, they do the launch, they get into orbit around the Earth, and then there's some fun weightless stuff. Tish's earrings yeah. seem to float. <laughs> they all look back at Earth. And it seems magical. Yeah, they're super pumped. Like, they yeah. don't really seem that concerned at this point. No. Um, however, after they kind of get over this initial, like, kind of shock and awe of seeing the Earth from space, um, Max says that he wants to go home. And so they're like, okay. Yeah, go on back to junior camp now, kid. <laughs> I know. The problem has happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then Andy says, um, because of course she's been training. That's, I think, maybe also implicit here is like the thing that she didn't get selected for was this same mission. So like mm. she's she's got a lot of information that somebody else might not generally have. I mean, it's a good thing she was present. <laughs> Correct. Um, if not, these kids, this movie would just be called Dead Kids in Dead Space. Kids. <laughs> like, I would um, fucking watch a movie called Dead Kids in Space. <laughs> like, and their corpses froze and they floated into the n- n- infinity, never Ooh, to be seen like again. zombies in space. And then they came <laughs> yeah. back and they're zombies now. That I'd would be that. wild. Um, <laughs> so she tells the team that um, their next re-entry window, and by that she means entering into the atmosphere, because I, 
I don't totally know it. This is like what that movie Hidden Figures is all about, in a sense. Yeah. Um, where it's like you can only enter the Earth's atmosphere at certain angles, at certain times, yeah. and certain spots. So Yeah. They really needed Taraji P. Henson. They did. Like <laughs> and Janelle Monet and everyone yeah. on the team. Um <laughs> so the the this next spot where they can do this involves them orbiting the earth for 12 hours until they can begin. That's um, a long fucking time. It and is a long time. They I do they do they <laughs> going back to our obsession with food. Do they mention food at all in this? Uh at the very end Max says he's very hungry. So they don't okay. have any food in this scenario. Water? Do they have water? They have nothing. Cuz they're not the not thing good. wasn't supposed to launch, so they don't have anything. Yeah, they're not not good. Um yeah, and I feel like 12 hours without water, you say, oh, that's not, like, so bad. But, like, when you really can't have it, then... Yeah, you're not going to die from 12 hours without water. But the minute, like, my the truth is, <laughs> I, talking about it, just talking about it, I started thinking about 12 hours without water, and I my mouth feels dry. This as, Well, as soon as someone says you don't, we don't have that, and you can't have that. <laughs> Like that is there is like there is You're like, like a that's psychology. the exact thing that I want right yeah. this second. <laughs> You're like, I, I mean, like I don't drink a lot of water, but truly, truly, when we started having this conversation, like my mouth, I feel parched. Yes. Um. Um. Now the other important thing to know about this, this is again from the internet of like debunking various things. Um. Mm -hmm. Andy says that the next reentry point won't happen for another twelve hours. That is yeah. not true. Um, apparently, and I don't know enough about this to speak much beyond this point, but apparently, uh, they could have just turned right around and gone right back down into the place they just left. Um. You would think, but I don't know anything about it. And then there's also various other spots along the way that have been designated as, as we eventually learn at the end, um, as like emergency spots. Um. Yeah. So. I mean. <laughs> It's one of those problems in movies where, like, they have to create <laughs> a right. conflict. Right. So they need to make it more dramatic than it would be. And I totally get that. And they assume, I suppose, that the majority of viewers are dumb enough to not even think about it or question it or know anything about it, which in this case for me... I was like, oh, shit, 12 hours. Damn, sounds bad. Um, right. And I wouldn't have looked further into it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what my point is other than yeah. <laughs> movies lie. So, and, and what they're shooting for, basically, is that they want to get into position for this reentry. And then, I guess, people at their ground control can autopilot the shuttle mm. back at that mm -hmm. point so that all seems fine i guess um i mean define fine but okay <laughs> <laughs> but then unfortunately they realize that they only have one oxygen tank full in the shuttle because again the shuttle has not been prepared yet to do this thing that they're now doing so the the yeah. oxygen tank only has enough oxygen for 12 hours and uh -oh. 
Yeah, and Andy is like, you need at least a couple hours more than that to actually, like, because we're going to be waiting 12 hours just to get to the window, and then there's the actual, like, landing process. Right. And you can't go without oxygen for two hours. That is a science fact, for sure. <laughs> at least they um, followed up on that one. <laughs> yeah, so then it's like, oh, shit, what do we do? But Andy immediately remembers that... um there's something called Daedalus, uh, which is a space station that is currently under construction in this reality. Now, again, this is something else I looked up just to see if there ever was a Daedalus <laughs> or something that was like slated to be happening at that time. It doesn't appear to be real. Um, okay. So that's the so funny then, thing is you you're pronouncing it, and they I guess did too. Daedalus, but when it's written down, it looks like Daedalus. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so they're going to be dead. It is It is an anagram for dead, so you're correct in that. <laughs> um, so, so now they have a slightly different thing that they have to do. They're not just hanging out in that same spot and, like, orbiting. They actually have to pilot to somewhere to get this oxygen to survive. Um, so... Andy's like, okay, Kevin, can you plot a course to get us to Daedalus? Um, and he cannot, for whatever reason. I guess he hasn't been paying attention all this time. So uh, Andy's like, all right, forget it. Uh, Kevin, you're no longer mission commander. Catherine, you take over. Now, what I don't understand about that choice, why isn't Andy like, I'm mission commander? Like, yeah. Like why 100%. leave it? Why leave it in the hands of children? Regardless. Yeah. Like okay. Like yeah. Like okay, bitch. We I get it. We were in space camp before, so we could like have all the simulations we want. We're in motherfucking real space now. Don't leave it to these kids. Right. Like you should be mission commander, and and you're obviously good at being a pilot. So like you can do, do it both all. of those things. <laughs> um. But that is apparently not like how it works. So yeah. Catherine gets going on plotting a course. And then um, Andy's also like, we need to figure out a way to get in contact with ground control because we don't have long-range radio, but there's maybe some other way that we can let them know what we're doing. And Tish starts thinking, and she was like, oh, but they can still, like, track us. There's certain, like, uh, connections that they still have that are, like, automatic between ground control and the ship. And so she starts doing Morse code on one of those, like, um, <laughs> like tertiary systems uh, with the hope that someone's going to start looking at, like, that and will notice that it's Morse code. And how that is depicted, and again, I can't be sure that this is based in anything in reality. Um, like, Tish is, like, flicking a switch in the shuttle back and forth with Morse code. Down in yeah. ground control, there's a little red button with a light that is pinging according to Morse code. But of course, it's one little button amongst thousands of buttons, and so no one notices that that's happening. <laughs> um, then we start getting a little bit of a countdown clock at two hours. Where so it takes them, I guess, ten hours to get to Daedalus because now we only have two hours of oxygen left. We're at Daedalus, and Andy. 
at the very least, she's now like, I'm in charge of everything, so I'm going to do a spacewalk to get the oxygen from this space station. Um, and so she gets into a spacesuit, and she gets into an MMU, which is a manned maneuvering unit, which is a real thing. It's a little jetpack <laughs> chair. Mm -hmm. um, and she takes it over to Daedalus. We saw we one. Now I think we just... see those in Gravity. Huh? Yeah, you're right. We do. Um, and there but... are parts of this that reminded me of Gravity. <laughs> yes. I think that's absolutely... Like, this this section in particular had a yeah. Gravity-type quality to it somehow. Yeah. And, I, and I couldn't tell you what I mean by that. But, like, that's what I was getting. Yeah. Um, when Andy gets to Daedalus, between being in the M MMU and being adult size and the fact that this is not really truly a space station at this juncture, the oxygen is like hooked to it in such a way that it's actually, you can't like reach it mm -hmm. if you're an adult size. And so everyone's like, oh no, what do we do? So the answer, of course is Max is going to be sent out to Daedalus because he is small and he will be able to get into this space that Andy can't um, which is just fucking insane. <laughs> like, you can't send a 12-year-old on a spacewalk. I mean, walk. that really was... That, I, I have to say, like... <laughs> the the kid in space of it all was pretty crazy. And that they were acting like that was, like, kind of normal. Yeah. I mean, particularly because the spacesuit doesn't even fit him, so they have to use Tish's belt to, like, make it small enough to fit him. <laughs> and I'm like, no, there's that kind of thing would absolutely set you up to have a weird chink and something yeah. and then oxygen's coming out and then you die in space and then like you know this is no now good. you've got a, a dead kid floating around in space right. but the other like at this and this is sort of when i started to realize there was something about this movie that i couldn't put my finger on um was right around this time like in the normal movie because this is like the climax -ish. right yeah, um, I think so. Or the stressful climax, I guess you could say. And I was noticing, like, I don't feel stressed. Like, <laughs> I, I, and it's funny because I can't, in other movies where it's, like, stressful in space, I know deep down the ending, the end result is they will survive and be fine. Right. Because that's always the ending. Except for, like, maybe Armageddon or something like that where they have to, like, leave somebody behind. But, and in this one, it's a kid. It's, and now I know, know that it's Disney. Of course they're going to survive. I had no, I had no stress. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, send the kid out. Well, and especially, so the way they kind of work around this and seemingly it's everything is fine. They put Max into not an MMU, but like kind of like a, a similar chair sort of structure, but it's connected yeah. to an arm on the yeah. shuttle and then the arm is con Rudy is controlling the arm inside. Mm -hmm. And we, there was also in the training montage, we see Max doing that at that time. Yeah. Now, but so the thing that's weird about that though, is so they say you're going to be kind of carried over to De Daedalus from this arm. And, but he still has to unhook himself 
from that chair to get to the place where the oxygen is. And the way this is depicted in the movie is they show Max being put in the chair and the arm moving. And then they just mm. show him floating up alongside Andy. And I'm like, so at some point, <laughs> this 12-year-old he's, child had to... He's free-floating in space. Yes, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, truly ridiculous in every possible way. So, finally, uh, Andy and Max, they go through their own little trouble where Max starts to float away at one point, and Andy comes to collect him. And then they both end up back in the cargo bay, and Andy is connecting the first oxygen tank. And again, we see tension in the team. This is like an under underlying thing. The team still struggles to really work together because Catherine is like a know-it-all who tries to tell everyone what to do. Um, so she, Rudy is explaining to Andy like how to hook the various tubes to the oxygen tank. And Catherine, and he's using a, like a diagram that tells mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do. Catherine then barges in and is like, no, you're wrong. And he's like, no, you're wrong. Like, um, and so finally Andy through the comms is like, well, someone needs to tell me what to do. And Rudy is like, do what I said. Um, and of course he's right. And Catherine get looks a little bit sheepish as a result of that. Um, and so as soon as Andy connects the O2 tank, air starts to flow through the shuttle cabin again and everyone's like very relieved and it's like okay great problem solved we'll all survive <laughs> excellent unfortunately when andy attempts to connect connect to the second tank i'm not really sure what goes wrong but something does go wrong such that then the tank which is full of oxygen like kind of moves out of her control such that the the force of it knocks her into the back wall of the cargo bay, knocking her out, and then she starts floating out into space. Not good. No. And she, I guess she, she does seem to have a tether, but, like, still, she's floating out into space. Down <laughs> in ground control, though, all they see, because they have, like, telemetry and stuff, they mm -hmm. see that the oxygen has refilled, and they're like, oh, great. Um, so then they're like, we're going to put this thing on autopilot and we're going to bring them down. Back on the shuttle, as soon as autopilot is engaged, the cargo bay doors are starting to close with Andy outside of them. And uh -oh. so the crew is freaking out because they're like, what's happening? Like, she's still stuck outside. What are we supposed to do? They realize that autopilot has been engaged from ground control. Um... And they need, and so they're like, well, is there any way to like stop this from ha happening? I forget who says it, but someone says there's a manual override switch. And so then they're like, Catherine, pull the manual override switch. Um, what, what does Catherine respond with? And they ask her to do that. Uh, I can't remember, but she does. I can't remember. She does nothing. She totally freezes. Yeah, she freaks um, out. I, I, 
Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Is this where he's like, do it, do it, do it. And she, like, waits till it's, like, one second. And then right. he just does it. Right. They have, like, one more second before, like, autopilot is going to engage. And Kevin, like, Catherine literally can't make the decision. So Kevin is like, forget it. And he flips the switch. Manual override has happened. The cargo bay doors start to open again. They pull mm-hmm. Andy in. Um, she has gotten quite hurt, so she's pretty much passed out, and they, like, put her in this weird kind of sleeping bag thing that's, like, hooked to the wall. <laughs> um, and down on the ground, everyone was like, what has happened here? Like, why did they turn off uh, autopilot? And I think this is when Tom Skerritt is like, "Some like, what else could be going wrong up there or something? And you're um, like, fuck, bro. Who everything. The hell knows? Everything is going wrong. <laughs> um, meanwhile, back in the shuttle, Kevin has now taken over again. Um, and everyone's like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And he's like, well, just for now, go back to your stations. Um, like, Tish, you get in touch with, like, ground control. Keep doing that. Catherine then is like, I froze and I'm clearly not ready to be commander. You, you like, took action and so you're better off about it. Um, and Kevin, I can't remember if he actually disagrees with her or if he's like, yes, you're right. But um, <laughs> Yeah, you suck, bro. <laughs> uh, but they have some sort of coming to terms. Mm-hmm. Then Rudy pops in and he's like, we've been aiming to go to... Edward's base. I don't fully know where that is or what that is. But Mm -hmm. he remembers that he had read about different places where there had been emergency landings in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, I think it was someplace called like White Plains. And then Catherine is like, no, 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 you're talking about White Sands. And I think it's like meant to be like White Sands, Arizona or something. Mm -hmm. No, White Sands, New Mexico, I think it is. Okay. Which is a real place. Is that like Area 51? Uh, probably not. <laughs> but um, it is a real place, and it is a place that is designated as like an emergency landing spot if you oh, okay. need it. Um, so they're like, yes, that's what we'll do, because then that solves this oxygen thing. Because because the second oxygen tank got messed up, they, they still now don't have enough oxygen to take them to the place they were originally meant to go. Um, so then they're like, Tish, get on that control thing and start Morse coding that we're going to go to White Sands. Down in ground control, for whatever reason, Jinx has now gotten to ground control. Oh, I think it's because... (laughs) This freaking robot, man. I think because it has realized while it was in the computer room that, like, Max's life is in danger. Um, Yeah. So it's like, I have to do something to make sure that Max comes back. And so Jinx comes into ground control and for whatever reason confesses that it <laughs> is the reason that this whole thing has happened. Um, uh-huh. And so they're like, get this thing out of here. But then Jinx <laughs> is the only uh, being to recognize that Morse code is blinking out of this one little button. Mm-hmm. Um And so it starts spelling out this word, which I think it starts spelling out like white sands or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then everyone in ground control realizes what's happening. And they're like, oh, my God, they've been trying to communicate with us this whole time. Um, And so they're like, perfect, perfect. Get on, get going and start like decoding what this message says. 
And basically the message says, we're going to White Sands. And then they're like, get White Sands ready for an emergency landing. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The final bit of the movie, which, yeah, I, I now wonder what was supposed to be the main, like, for lack of climax? a better word, climax or conflict. Was it the space station stuff or is it this last bit where they're trying to re-enter the app? That's also it's unclear, but to be none like... of it seemed stressful. Like that, I it was so funny to me. I was like, mm. <laughs> "Were you like, had you had an edible or like some sort of CBD tincture before watching this that just chilled you the fuck out?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, no, fine. no, I didn't. I just like, I just felt like it seemed even even like the acting style. Like I know they were like." Like, they seemed chill. Like, I know that they weren't, but they <laughs> didn't seem like the normal heightened emotion that people are in some of these movies, you know? Yeah, fair like, enough. Um, I don't know. Well, I also will add that this movie was supposed to only take three months to shoot, and it took six months to shoot. So um, that seems like maybe it was pretty grueling, so maybe there isn't as much emotion in these scenes because it's like i've been doing this for a thousand years you're like i'm so fucking over it i'd rather (laughs) die in this fake space thing (laughs) i'm just tired the fuck out um but so basically right in these final moments andy wakes up and she's like okay give me a headset so that she can talk Catherine through the re-entry process um Again, we see a revisitation of Catherine's problems with getting uh, the shuttle under control when it's in a big spin. So there's that Mm -hmm. whole thing. She manages to stop the spin, but then there's a new problem, which is (laughs) that, like, the shuttle has to enter the atmosphere at 30 degrees. So she has to Mm -hmm. hold, like, the nose of the shuttle at 30 degrees And she's, like, constantly, like, it's wobbling back and forth between, like, 25 and 32 and, like, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of yawing around um, or bucking, I think. I think yawing is when it moves side to side and bucking is when it goes up and down. But anyway, Mm -hmm. it's doing that. And so basically you see various scenes where it looks like the ship is, like, almost about to burn up on Mm reentry. But luckily... They survive. Um, as soon as they make it through re-entry, the ground control finally does grab them on autopilot, which at this point, I guess, autopilot is just meant to land them on the landing strip in White Sands. And that is yeah. the end of the movie. Cool. And I won't belabor this, but, like, they when they re-enter and they're like, we did it, we made it, we're safe, I did have the thought where I was like, I've been in planes many times and (laughs) we never go out of the earth's atmosphere and like landing, I never feel as like safe. (laughs) Like, like we're a hundred percent. Okay. I literally said out loud, I was like, you're not home yet. Like, (laughs) I mean, I know like from space back in the atmosphere, like feels obviously very much better, but like they could have crashed it, like, I mean, I don't know. Just I was, I think they should have used a little bit more cautious optimism there than like we did it. Yeah, but, yeah. That's. Just I me. also <laughs> found the end really abrupt. Like, it yeah, makes, and then that was it. You they showed yeah. them going. We got no like welcome home. Yeah, 
Because I would have expected it to be like, like it makes sense to me that they ha they get through the re-entry and everyone's like, way to go, Catherine, you did it. Yes, and now we're going on autopilot and now we're great. So like that, yeah, that's a shot that did happen and makes sense. Then we yeah. have the shot of the shuttle like landing on the uh, landing strip. Also totally makes sense. But then yeah. I expect there to be at the very least an additional shot of them coming out of the shuttle yeah, being like, yeah, and maybe there's a news crew, or maybe it's their parents, totally. or like some hugging, or anything, you know, mm. or even just they hug as a group, and then Catherine and Kevin look at each other with meaning in their eyes, and then maybe they kiss, and then know, like, Andy is like, oh my gosh, you could be a pilot, like right. congratulations, something new. to yeah. like round out, like now, admittedly, it seems like neither one of us really had an emotional investment in this movie. No, but, like, I didn't care. But but it, it seems like you gotta have that some just a little something or even just like so I would expect that scene to be there and then I would also expect even on top of that yet another maybe little scene where it's like now we're back in the parking lot and it's the end of camp and it's like oh man we really we like, learned so much at camp we went so, to space so full circle you know yeah whatever. but you know what I think. I was just thinking about like the balance of this movie and I do think it's off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning I, like they spend too much time at the beginning belaboring some of the crap at the beginning. Right. Then the space part is actually relatively short. It is relatively short. And I think as well, once it gets into space, it goes fast. It goes fast, but it's also like it's so much shuttle and not yeah. much ground control and maybe that's the point i yeah. don't know but like yeah there's something about this uh the division of what's happening when and where we're paying attention does seem odd somehow yeah um and like yeah the story just feels like it yeah i mean i guess because the story isn't called mission failure or something <laughs> it's called space camp so it's like so we need yeah. to return to camp at the end of the yeah. movie, we spent so much time there. And then now the yeah. movie's over and we never, like, it's as if camp didn't matter. Like, yeah, um, yeah, maybe. And maybe so maybe I'm wrong and maybe they should have spent that time at the beginning, but then even shortened the problem and gone back to, I don't know. I think but, they could have, I think they could have been slightly less time in camp at the start. Certainly. Yeah. But then. I would expect to return, like, use some of the time that you spent at the beginning and just divvy that up so that then you have, like, I mean, the, the two additional scenes I'm picturing need no more than five minutes. Like, yeah, you know, just, like, and then cap it off. Camp. Done. We're moving yeah. on. Um, so that was, it's just, it, I was just like, that's a weird ending to this. But um consider considering filming took three months longer than planned i suppose they were just like we need to get this out of here like we're done um yeah so let's turn to yawns and eye rolls <laughs> and i fear uh how you might uh -oh. respond to this yeah i don't um, know in terms of yawns one yawn being i was totally into this movie uh just could not look away and then Tanyon's being like, I was totally not in this movie and kept looking away in the hopes of seeing <laughs> something else. What would you give it? Um, 
Yeah, unfortunately for me, like it's a good cast. It the movie looks good and everything, but I I was have having trouble on the boring factor and looking away. So I might have to go like seven or eight. Mm. Yeah, I I would say. Because even though we just explained how it needed more scenes, I think it also needed to be shorter at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I do recall it having a relatively longish runtime. Let me it's like an hour memory. 47. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I should, much I should believe you. You is. always know exactly the running time of all I these I do movies. because I check it like 45 <laughs> times as I'm watching it. I'm like, oh. You are exactly right down to the minute. It's an hour 47. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think maybe I'll... I liked it slightly more than you, but I I still think there were some problems with pacing and as I said, like this this how the story was put together. So I'll give it probably like yeah. a five. Yeah. Um. And in terms of eye rolls, one eye roll being like this seems realistic enough. Um. <laughs> and then ten eye rolls being like absolutely not. There is no universe where any of this would mm. ever happen. What would you give it? Hmm. Well, like based alone on like kid in space and like accidental shuttle launch. Um, I know nothing about science, but based on what you've told me, this seems an impossibility. So I rolls, I might do like probably six or seven. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even kind of controlling for suspension of disbelief. Uh, yeah, there's just like, and this is tough for me because like when we did the Martian, one of the things mm-hmm. that irritated me about that movie was I felt like it was too connected to what quote unquote really would happen in these yeah. situations. It didn't yeah. feel enough like, I don't know. I know that not everything needs to be fun, but like, I was just like, come on. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's that that's making me think a certain way. But on the other hand, I am like, I would have, some of this just feels really hard to swallow. Um, Yeah. So I guess, yeah, maybe for me, I'll just do a five again, which is like, I just, I'm very, um, yeah, mixed feelings about what to come away with from this movie. So then final thoughts, final question. Did you like this? And would you recommend it? <sighs> um, <laughs> this, this, I don't know. It's such a, this was a little bit of a weird one for me because like, I didn't hate it as much as many things that we watch, but it was the type of one, like I would never choose this on my own to watch. Like, and I didn't watch it till yesterday because I was like kept putting it off. <laughs> um, and every like I started it and was like, oh, this is what this is about. I'm going to wait another day. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure that I would recommend it. If you want to see, you know, young Joaquin, Phoenix, young Joaquin Phoenix, young Leah Thompson, young Kelly Preston, sure. Take a peek. But I don't know that I would like really recommend it. And I didn't really like it (laughs) yeah I mean I liked it fine I guess I'll say um despite my various disparaging comments I've made um (laughs) but I guess what I would ultimately 
say is that I wish it had been more about camp. Um, yeah. Rather than I wish... adding this, like, base journey. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, and I'd be curious to interview. <laughs> I never will. <laughs> but I'd be curious to interview someone who actually went to space camp, like a, a real person who went to space camp at this time and see what that experience was. Because I feel like just that experience alone could be interesting i'd rather watch a documentary about what space camp was truly like sure yeah i think maybe watch this i think so but like truly i'd be like just make a movie about being in space camp like that in and of itself could be fun and interesting um but yeah so i i hesitate to recommend this which is unusual for me um because I just don't think it quite delivers on any of the, like, is it the space disaster movie? Is it a movie about kids in camp? It's both, neither of which are really executed very well or convincingly. Um, So this is a rare, I don't think you need to see it. And, like, it's ironic because if it were worse in either respect, it might be funny. And then I'd say, yeah, give it a watch. But like, <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's just okay. Like across the board, it's just okay. And so it's like, eh, there's probably other stuff you would like enjoy more, or get something out of in yeah, a different way. Yeah. Yeah. If, if like, if space movies are your thing, like there's so many other ones I feel like that could like scratch that itch better. Yeah. Yeah. Like this one. And even if it's like, oh, it would be fun to see kids in space. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. This one isn't that. Um, So I don't actually know if there are many other kids in space movies, but this is not the one. I mean, I do like like that aspect of it. I would actually, you know what? We watched Dogs in Space last week. I would (laughs) like one called Kids in Space. I'm going to do a bit of a Google and we might find out. Anyway, the kid in... I think, again... The idea of a kid in space is intriguing and yeah. kids in general. So I do feel like there would be other yeah. outlets that are and a little also, bit more fun. Like um, you know, Flight of the Navigator has kid yeah. in a space ship. Um Yeah, that's more know, that, fun. That one yeah. is more fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, anyway, we <laughs> say maybe if you got an afternoon free, I guess watch this, but there's probably other stuff you could enjoy. Um, so that is it. And we are happy to have had, uh, some time with you today. My name is Sarah and I'm here with Amy and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of see you next week in space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.